Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, we are heading to the end of September here and moving into the fall, uh, coming right along, and you're about to get married, right? I am. I am. From when we're recording this, it's 17 days. When you're hearing this, it's going to be less than that. So, Wow. And it is, it feels, uh, you're going to laugh, it feels like an eternity away. Um, yeah. But I know it is, it is certainly not, it is right around the corner, but we are, we are so excited. And then it starts moving fast. <laughs> Moves fast, my man. That's what I've heard. How long have you been married? Uh, eight, eight and a half years now, so... And been with Sarah for ten. Well, wow. yeah, I've been married eight and a half. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's it's moved quick, man. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But yeah, what's going on with you this fall? I uh, finished up the house renovations, uh, so just living in it, just waiting on some furniture. Uh, so just happy to be done with that because it was just a lot of work mm. as I expected, yeah. and yeah, it was no, a it's lot. Done. Yeah, that's good. It's awesome. Yeah, getting into some fall cool weather. It's in yeah. the you know sixties and in, in the evenings and. You know, uh, upper 70s, low 80s in the day. It's beautiful, beautiful Finally. time of the year. Yeah, it's yeah, and yeah, so it's just, I love this time of year. I'm excited to get out of the heat and uh, watch the Iron Man last weekend in Augusta. That's nice. a pretty cool event that that's a lot cool. of people don't know about. But Did it come near your house? Went right by the house, oh, uh, awesome. the cycling portion. Yeah, and uh, it's amazing how many people travel from all over the world to do this half Iron Man. You swim, uh, what is it, 1.2 miles down the river. 56 mile bike ride and then a half marathon 13 mile run wow i believe it was 2200 people that did it <clears throat> and uh it's a big the, race and the guy that won it the professionals and it was amazing seeing them come by our house <laughs> early in, in the morning uh compared to the rest of the pack was like hours wow <laughs> and, uh, uh i think the guy that won it he did it in like three hours wow the whole three, thing three three hours Wow. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they do, though. I so think most people do it in like five, like people that are decent shape, they're doing it, they do it like five hours. Wow. So, I mean, this guy, he's five, booking it. Six, seven, even some do seven hours. So, yeah, that's, uh, it was pretty cool. It's a awesome, cool event. That's, that's a lot cool. of people do that as their first one because of the swims downstream. So, really interesting, fun things in the area. The weekend before was Arts in the Hearts in Augusta, which is a really cool food and art festival. Make sure you check that out next year. Um, but speaking of interesting, we have a really cool show today. We're going to talk about a few topics. The first is how safe is gold? Yeah, um, you know, this is from Morningstar, and it's it's looking through. We have a lot of clients who ask us, hey, how, you know, how, should we invest in gold? Um, you know, do you have gold in the portfolio? Can we invest in gold? Really just like what our opinion on gold is. So this is a good article looking at data on um, how safe gold is. So it's really good, and we hope you hope you enjoy that. Yeah, and the next we're just going to talk through some basics, types of retirement plans. A lot of times we just get questions from people that own businesses on, hey, what types of retirement plans we should offer, as well as just IRAs. It's good to review those things, the limits of them, the pros and cons, because um, there's a lot out there, and the information changes a lot. So we're going to review things like 401k, simple, SEP IRAs as well as Roth and normal IRAs. Yeah, that's right. So that will be a little more boring, but it's good to know that because that's how most people save for retirement. 
Uh, but by the way, my name is Ryan Borders. I'm one of the advisors here at Richard Young Associates, um, and I'm also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro and a certified financial planner. And I'm Matthew Travis. I'm also an advisor here at the firm and, um, and also a certified financial planner. We just want to thank everyone for listening. Feel free to check us out on moneymd.net. This is where you can submit things like the question of the week. You can look at our past episodes. We have over 500 episodes now. Wow. Feel free to look through those. Uh, submit your questions. We love answering your questions on there. And yeah, feel free to check us out on there. We're also on things like iTunes, if that's still a thing, I guess, <laughs> Spotify, uh, Apple, all the, music. Yeah, yep. Apple Music, all the different platforms were there. Feel free to listen to our episode. Uh, and yeah, thanks for thanks for listening to us today. Um, so we're going to start off with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, and this is about home ownership. And so if you own a home and you're looking to sell it, um, pay attention. If you have lived in a home for two of the last five years, um, then you have a capital gain exclusion from the sale of your primary residence. And so if you've lived there for three years of the last five years, and you sell your house and you have a capital gain, there's an exclusion that you can, um, it basically does not hit your tax return. It's excluded from that and you can have those gains tax-free. And so the limits are 250,000 for single filers and 500,000 for married filing joint. And so let's say you buy a house for 300,000 and you're married and you sell it for 600,000, it's a $300,000 gain. Um, and if you've lived there for two of the last five years, it's ex- that 300000 gain is excluded from your income under that exclusion for your home residence. So uh, this is really important and can, can be a, um, a very uh, big value add for someone who's, who's living in a home. This does not apply for rental homes. So if you have rental homes, it does not apply. This is only for your primary residence, and it's you know you have to live there two of the last five years. Yeah, I get that question all the time, um, and people just don't. They always think they're going to sell their personal residence and have a bunch of capital gains tax, and that's just not the case. Now, here's a question for you, Matthew, and um, I'm going to throw one at you. What if you inherit the home from like your parents and they pass? Like, How does it work then? It's a good question. So capital gain, uh, so assets that have capital gains on them normally um, typically receive a stepped-up basis. And so if your parents owned a home and they paid 100000 for it, and let's say it's now worth 500000 there's not technically a sale of the house if you inherit it, so that exclusion does not apply um, that we just mentioned. But it is there's a stepped up basis that then the house's value on the date of death becomes now your basis going forward. So if yep. date of death is now worth five hundred thousand, now that is your basis as you inherit it. And from there, wherever it grows to, you know that would depend on the sale. But there's a stepped up basis. Yeah, that's a huge benefit for so many people, both of those. Um, and a lot of people just don't realize it. And really, that's just a very helpful tool when we're working through financial planning and just inheritances and things like that. Yeah, and one, one more tip. Um, basis is what you pay for it as well as any capital improvement. So if you paid 300000 for a house and then let's say you added a $40,000 deck and added a you know, $50,000 addition, those increase the basis of your home. So as you're yeah. calculating basis, it's its original purchase price plus any capital improvement. So that's something to keep in mind as well for that. And our normal plug, whenever we're talking taxes and working through a tax situation, what do we tell everybody to do? Uh, always consult with the CPA always. or your tax advisor. Always. <laughs> yep, always do that. Make sure you're just making a wise decision so we're not surprised by anything and 
it's always good to talk with a tax professional. All right, let's head into the first topic, and that's how safe is gold? Great, great question. Yeah, and this is from Morningstar. And so uh, last month, the Wall Street Journal published an article entitled, When Markets Get Scary, Mom and Pop Buy Gold. Um, and, you know, underlying the, the piece uh, of this news was news for the, that for the first time in 10 years, Gallup poll respondents preferred gold to stocks when asked to name the best long-term investment. Uh, as gold has returned less than equities over the past 10, 20, 30, up to 100 years, counting both domestic and international stock markets, one can interpret that answer as indicating either that the public believes that mainstream investments will soon collapse or that though it sacrifices total return potential, gold does offer a level of uh, protection that stocks tend to lack. Um, and so it's, it's just interesting, you know, when, when you think through people's sentiment on gold, you know, is it the fear of losing that the stock market creates that they like gold? Or is it genuinely that they think that gold will outproduce or outperform the markets overall? Yeah, and consi- uh, consequently, the story featured investors praising gold uh, dependability. Um, in particular, it le- uh, its lead quote struck me. Um, and this is, precious metals are kind of what uh, just makes it so I can sleep at night. So it's almost like just the physical aspect of it really mm-hmm. just makes people feel, and you hear that about real estate as well. You can touch it. You know, it's just more tangible to people. And, you know, this stated a middle-aged Massachusetts engineer, It's and the quote continues, it's impossible if owning gold that I'm going to end up in a bread line somewhere waiting for someone to drop something in my hand so I can eat. Um, so let's consider that statement. There's a lot of fear there, and we need to kind of unpack that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty uh, pretty intense. Um, so the first is the short-term volatility. So customarily, financial risk is ga- uh, gauged by near-term movements. There is a good reason for that practice. Assets that decline by 20% in a week are much uh likelier to suffer severe future losses in those uh, that never fall by 5%. So also, many invest uh, investments must be judged by what has occurred recently as they lack long-term histories. So the following, you know, we're going to talk through a chart here. Um, we're going to talk through annualized monthly standard deviations. Man, we're getting, getting into the weeds here, my man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since September 1971 for four asset classes. We're going to talk gold, um, Intermediate term United States government notes and three international stocks as well as U.S. stocks. Um, so this author used that uh, start date because in August of 1971, President Nixon announced the temporary suspension of the Bretton Woods Accord, which was negotiated monetary order intended to govern monetary relations. So that interpretation soon became the permanent thereby creating a new and still current gold price regime. So that's when we, yeah, some pretty. Yeah, it's when we switched over from, from the old way to have the, the gold, gold standard. That's yeah, what people standard. say. Yeah. That's right. And so basically what this chart's showing um, is that gold's volatility is higher than intermediate treasuries, which one could expect because treasuries are very stable. It's higher than international equities, which is surprising because international yeah. equities – People tend to think are are the mo- the riskiest asset class, and also gold is 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 more volatile than U.S. stocks on this 
month to month annualized, excuse me, the annualized standard deviation percent for each of these asset classes. So it, by statistic, gold has has been riskier than all of these. Um, but you know, it's nevertheless, it, you know, it would seem to refute the engineer's claim that hey, you know, we just want gold because we want to protect our assets long term. Conventional analysis indicates that gold bullion uh, is a relatively hazardous holding. Um, the shares of gold mining companies are, are chancier yet. I mean, you just think about like these gold companies that have bulldozers and they're, they're <laughs> physically getting gold yep. out of the earth. They're very, they can be very risky. But this investigation is insufficient. After all, the engineer did not fuss about monthly swings. What worried him was the possibility of one-way movement leading to the loss of his capital. Although related, the two items are not identical. It could be that gold prices have fluctuated sharply in the short term, but have then reversed to the mean. If so, gold would indeed be a safe choice according to his barometer. And so we'll look at another kind of angle, if you will, now. Yeah, so the second is the long-term impairment. So we can test that hypothesis by measuring the lowest long-term performance managed by gold through the study period. So on inflation-adjusted basis, uh, nominal returns are beside the point as what matters is the preservation of purchasing power, what was weakest in 10-year outcome for a 100,000 investment in gold bullion uh, for comparison's sake. So they include three other assets, an intermediate U.S. bonds, foreign equities, and domestic equities. And so looking at the lowest 10-year returns yeah, and so looking at these returns, the chart is basically showing that the growth of $10,000, excuse me, the growth of $100,000 over the lowest 10-year return. So these are the worst 10-year performing yeah. um, years in this study from 1971 to 2023. And gold, 100000 would have turned to 53000 Intermediate treasuries would have turned to 106000 right? It would have grown over that time, those, the lowest 10-year time period. International equities was 98,000 and US stocks was 70,000. And so gold is still the lowest performing asset class over the lowest 10 year returns over the last roughly 50 years. And so the engineer would be unhappy during its worst decade. Gold bullion shed almost half of its real value. Stocks too did suffer loss though at different times in gold struggle, but their trough was nonetheless higher than gold. For investors who needed their money back after 10 years, gold was the most dangerous of the four asset classes. And you may say, well, what about 20-year? The 20-year view was was worse yet. Gold dropped even further to only 41 cents on the dollar. Meanwhile, the real returns of the three competing investments were positive. Domestic stocks returned at least 154% through those those 20-year periods. They, not gold, were the overwhelming safe choice. Um, And so, yeah, the other... You know, thing to think about is, you know, okay, well, you know, the lowest, the lowest, you know, the lowest performing asset class has been gold over the the lowest ten and twenty year time periods, and it may be objected that, um, you know, the ten and twenty year troughs each originated in the early nineteen eighties, um, when bullion prices spiked. Thus, these these findings are deceptive because they're based on a single movement in a half a century of history. The answer would be yes and no. Although it's true that the worst long-term results derived from that year, most who bought gold from 1979 to 1983 also lost money after inflation for the 20-year period. And that's because inflation was so high yeah. during that time period. So gold, again, it it is the most volatile 
um, yep. over the over the last fifty two years, and it also over the lowest ten and twenty year time periods, it has been the lowest performing asset class again out of those four that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just another 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 thing to think about. So, so maybe a question for you, Ryan. This is kind of where the article ends. Is okay. Well, when you know, how is gold a benefit, or or when would gold be a way to um, you know, bolster the portfolio, if you will. Yeah, I, I don't, I would never suggest gold. <laughs> I mean, uh, you talk to the Dave Ramsey of the world and just, you know, it doesn't have a great track record. I mean, the third point of this article is talking about, hey, if there's a catastrophe, you know, then would it be worth something to you? So, you know, we really have no chart for the third and final assessment how gold performs when uh, normal investment rules no longer apply, such as during bouts of total war or hyperinflation. You know, not only have such calamities rarely troubled developed countries over the past century, but when they have, gold's uh, barter rate has not often been documented. So the data permits only guesswork. So really, it's just kind of guessing what could be, thinking of the future. Um, however, based on, you know, and and and. I can't even say that word. Anecdotal, yeah. Anecdotal <laughs> evidence, including you know this guy's mother-in-law's experience of World War II as a refugee when she survived on meals purchased with gold coins from her mother's attic. Uh, you know he will grant gold is due. Um, so really, just kind of his point is we don't really have much data on it. My opinion is if it gets so bad, gold's not going to be your number one priority. It's going to be like food, water. Guns, you're not going to be thinking about yeah. your equities, your stock portfolio. If it's that bad, it's you move to survival mode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's basically what this article is saying is is for the normal workings of the economy, gold is very volatile and has not returned as high as other asset classes. Yeah. If you go down the worst case scenario of doomsday, to be quite frank, we've told clients this a number of times is, you know, if, if, if truly doomsday happens, and that's why most people want gold is because they go down the worst case scenario, yeah. you probably won't be calling us. I mean, Correct. our numbers hopefully will be open and we'll be here to talk. But if it truly goes down the worst case scenario, um, you, you won't be concerned with your portfolio. So, and so there is there's a, there's a fear that people have that losing their money is the most important thing in life. And that's one thing we try to communicate is, is is yes, what we do is very important and it matters, but also the fear that can drive these decisions cannot be based on rational fear, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's exactly, these gold products are sold based on fear. They right. play to people's fears and also they're very expensive. They're high commission-based products. That's exactly what they are. You know, the fees are very high typically. They're very hard to get out of once you decide you don't want to do that anymore, as we've experienced with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm very wary of it. Like, you know, the main thing, it's a fear thing. I can hold it in my hand, um, but that doesn't necessarily give it a value just because you can hold it in your hand. Yeah, that's right. And if this is something that, you know, you desire to have because it brings you peace at night and you can sleep, then that's fine. But we would not encourage you to view this as a part of your um, portfolio that is part of the overall process for having the highest return and lowest volatility. Cause it's just statistically, the data shows us not. Yeah. But again, if it brings you peace and it's like, man, this is just a good security blanket then that's okay. We can, we can get behind a portion of that. Um, but it's, it's really, it's never something that we're going to recommend just because of the data that we see behind it. Exactly. Good, good article. We're pretty weighty there, but you know, hopefully everybody's still awake uh, on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but good to talk about cause we do get that question. 
Uh, so, you know, now we're going to transition to the question of the week, Matthew. This is really interesting, um, but the question comes in, uh, what is regret theory? Yeah, that's good. I had to look into this because I wasn't sure um, what, what this was myself, but regret theory states that people anticipate regret if they make the wrong choice, uh, and they consider this anticipation when making decisions. Fear of regret can play a significant role in dissuading someone from taking action or motivating a person to take action. Regret theory can impact an investor's rational behavior, impairing their ability to make investment decisions that would benefit them as opposed to harming them. So this is common if, you know, if, if you've heard the term fear of missing out or um, fear of um, you know, making a decision that will negatively impact your future. This is, it's, it's, it is that people fear um, bad things more than they value good things that happen to them. And this is very common this can also take place in investments, and this can lead you to make decisions with your investments that are not based on any information, but they're based on emotions. So we would encourage you with investments or with any other big decisions to really think through, you know, how would someone else handle this situation if they were not in my emotional invested state in this situation, trying to remove yourself as much as possible and say, hey, what, what is a good way to think through this? Uh, without my emotions all in impacted in that, um, especially with your finances, can be a great way to think through that. Yeah, very interesting. Hmm, that was a just a unique question of the week. So, yeah, so great question. I love it, love it. Uh, so next we're going to transition to our last article of the day. Not really even an article. We're just talking through different types of retirement plans. Matthew, we just get this question a lot. Hey, what are these plans? We talk to some people that are business owners that want to offer a employer benefit plan, you know, that, that allows their employees to save for retirement as well as themselves. So we're going to talk through those, and we're just going to talk through the basics of Roth and traditional IRA, talk about just rules. We'll talk about some pros and cons, but it's just good to review these things um, because, yeah, a lot of times it can be confusing. You hear 401k, simple IRA, SEP IRA, 403B, uh, 457, Roth IRA, traditional IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, goodness gracious, what's a taxable brokerage account compared to all these? So good to walk through these, good to talk through the pros and cons. Um, and we're just going to kind of dive in. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, you know, who can contribute. And we're going to talk through work plans first, and then we're going to move into just standard IRAs after the work mm-hmm. plans. Perfect. Yeah, so 401k, um, who can contribute to a 401k? You have to be employed, and your employer has to offer this. So if it's not offered through your employer, you cannot contribute to a 401k. Correct. A simple IRA is going to be for smaller businesses, um, and this is your kind of your under 100 employees, um, and you get a simple match, and your employer puts that in your accounts, it's 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 very easy if you're a small business owner to set up a simple IRA. By its name, it's it's very simple. SEP IRA, only the employer can contribute and you must the employer must contribute the same percentage for all eligible employees. So yep. if you're you have five employees and you contribute twenty five percent of your income as the employer to your retirement you have to contribute 25% of each of your employees' salaries to their retirement. So SEP IRA is very good for very small businesses, but can be very expensive, but very easy to set up as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about pros and cons on when to choose that in a little bit. But next is the max employee contribution. So not employer, but employee. So for 401k, it's a big advantage here. Each individual can do 22500 
And if you're over 50, you can do an additional 7,500 as a catch-up. So it's wow. a huge benefit for people saving for retirement. You just have a lot of room to save in a 401k. Uh, as far as the simple IRA, uh, you can do 15,500 and the catch-up for over 50 is 3,500. So the 401k wins when it comes to max contribution. And I never quite understood why that is, but that's just the rule the IRS has in place, you mm -hmm. know, um, that they just give more to the 401k. And then obviously with SEP, we talked about employees do not contribute to that. Hmm. That's good. Or what about employer? Uh, for 401ks, optional, um, up to 25% of W-2 is what an employer can contribute to an employee. That'd be a great match. Um, wow. Up to up to 66000 per year of, for total contributions into a 401k, including employee com employer contributions. 66000 is that cap. If you're over 50, it's 73500 Um and for, for simple IRAs, um, they're required to match uh, the first 3%, 100 uh, percent of the first three percent of employee contributions. Um, so if you put in three percent, employer matches three percent. If you put in four percent, employer matches three uh, percent. So that three percent is a magic number for simples. It can be as low as two percent depending on how it's set up, but three percent is very normal. Uh, then for the SEP, uh, it's it's optional. It's it's whatever percent the employer sets up, but it can only go up to twenty five percent. Again, with that cap, same as the the four hundred one k of sixty six thousand for twenty twenty three. Yeah. So if you're an employer, you just really want to understand these rules because you're you might be you're going to be required if you do like a simple to do some form of math. You just need to be ready to do that. Um, and man, just again, the 401k yeah, offers a huge amount that you can contribute. Um, so another pro for them. Um, but the next is the vesting timing for employer contributions. So the reason for this is employers can set up a vesting schedule basically to encourage people to stay employed with the company. Um, so basically uh, with the 401k, there's multi-year options or you can do immediate where you can vest, you know, employee has to be there five years or so. Mm -hmm in order to get all the match you contributed to their plan. Um, and like I said, the reason for that, it just encourages people to stay employed and encourages just a lot of, it discourages turnover from a company. But compared to the simple and SEP, it's immediate. You have to give that match over if they leave and go mm. somewhere else. So yeah. just interesting uh, when it comes to vesting. Um, next is the access to funds before age 59 and a half. So that's the golden age we always talk about. Um, so with 401ks, you can have penalty-free loans or 10% penalty for early withdrawal. So that's what we see with most retirement plans is the 10% early withdrawal penalty on top of your taxes. Simple IRA is a little different, and people forget this. There's a 25% penalty for withdrawing within the first two years mm -hmm. of participating. So pretty significant penalty. And then after that, it's just that normal 10%. And then with the SEP, it's the same thing, 10% penalty. Uh, for withdrawing before 59 and a half. So 59 and a half is that golden age. Wow. That's good. Um, maybe the last question for employer plans, can you do Roth contributions? Short answer for 401k, yes. Simple IRA, SEP IRA, no. Um, there's different limits for the 401k. Um, for the Roth, it's, or excuse me, it's the same as the pre-tax. It's at 22,500. Uh, if you're under 50 or 30,000, if you're over 50, but that is the same bucket as the pre-tax contribution. So if you 
want to do the the max let's say you're over 50 and the max 30 grand into employee contributions you can only make that up of a pre-tax and in Roth money you can't do 30,000 into both um, you know it's 30,000 combined yeah so just kind of real quick the pros and cons I mean 401k sounds like the winner but the main con with 401ks is administrative costs very complex very complex a lot of work so a lot of people do not like to do that the simple is Really easy to set up. Yeah, it takes, it's in it takes, the name. takes an hour to set up. Very easy. Yeah, SEP is great if you're self-employed, but if you have you know employees, it gets more complicated because you got to contribute the same rate. And uh, but it's great if it's just you. You know, if you're 1099, mm-hmm. it is a great option. You want to work with a CPA on calculating what you can contribute every year because um, we talked about you know you have to calculate based off your income. So overall, those are your three main plans. There's other variations like 403B, and there's some different rules with that. But those are your kind of three main plans that we see um, just for employers when setting up retirement as well as employees. You'll see that as you go to work. Now, let's kind of review just Roth IRA and traditional IRA. This is an individual account. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about this a lot, and I just good to review. So this is an additional account you can have on top of your work plans um, based on income, you know, your AGI. Um, but yeah, so we'll talk through Roth IRA and traditional IRAs um, that you can set up um, for additional retirement savings. So the first is annual contribution limits. So both you're allowed to do 6,500 as of 2023, and that's a, there's a $1,000 catch up by 50 and older. Um, and that's combined. So if you had both Roth and traditional, you can only do 6,500 total towards IRAs each year. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, the income, what's the income limit for IRAs? There is an income limit for contributions for both Roth and traditional. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so that, it depends on your income bracket and depends on if you how you file, but there are no uh, income limits for work plans. There are for IRAs. Correct. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, Ryan, the question that I would have for you would be just in general, um, it, you know, how do you, how do you, prioritize where you contribute money for retirement. Oh uh, yeah, that that, sense? yeah, it's a great question. I think it depends on a lot of factors. Your income, how much are you making? You know, does it make sense to have more pre-tax contributions compared to Roth? Um, so you just want to really sit down and make a plan first based on just hey, what how are we efficient with taxes? Um, obviously the advantage with Roth is that tax-free growth that you want to take advantage of cuz there could be a lot of growth in there over the years and you're not paying any taxes on that. Um, but also if you like, what is it now? 20, 214,000. If you're married filing jointly starts the cutoff for Roth. So obviously you can't do it. Um, so those are some of the main things, but uh, you should always at least get your match in the employer plan, right. right? It's free money. Then from there you kind of assess the types of funds that are offered, uh, things like that. And then you kind of make a decision, Hey, should I start going towards my IRA based off the investments in there compared to my work plan? Or maybe your work plan's sufficient and you can build a good portfolio in there and primarily go in there. It's, it's really depends. It's just kind of the answer is depends. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's helpful. I know there's not one right way to do that, but yeah, that's helpful to know. Yeah. Next is tax benefit. Yeah. Of- yeah. And so the taxes for Roth IRAs, um, you know, for the Roth IRA, you pay taxes today on the funds, um, but in the future, you pay no taxes on the basis or the growth. Pre-tax, you get a tax break today, um, but any any funds you distribute in the future will be taxed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, early withdrawals, very similar. 59 and a half is the golden age, and uh, there's the 10% penalty. Um, 
if you withdraw early. And so with Roth IRAs, it would be on the gains. You're going to pay that 10% penalty and in income taxes. Um, there's also a five-year holding rule for Roth IRA investment earnings as well, which a lot of people don't know about. So it's the five-year rule. You have to have the Roth open for five years or you're going to pay that penalty. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, just in general, you know, thinking through the work plans and the the individual retirement accounts, really good accounts. There's a lot of details in there. Uh, we really just hit high level on yeah. them. If you have any questions, you know, we, we would we would welcome them. Yeah. And just real quick, too, is just if you do max, let's say you're a high income earner and you max out your 401ks, you're not eligible for Roth, maybe. Um, there's other options to look at. There's something called after-tax in 401ks a lot of people forget about. Um, that's after you hit that 22500 limit. And if your plan offers it, you can add more to the after-tax option. And a lot of clients and people will convert that to the Roth. Mm-hmm. Why? The yeah. after-tax portion in your 401k, the growth in it is taxable. That's right. Okay, so a lot of our clients here at least once or twice a year will convert it to the Roth so that gain going forward can be tax free. So mm-hmm. you want to keep an eye out on that if you're contributing more than 22500 and you're um, if the plan offers the after tax, you want to convert that to Roth. Yep. Uh, it's a huge very, benefit. Very very good point. But there's other options too. You can look at brokerage accounts, taxable accounts uh, where you just pay capital gains on the on the mm-hmm. gains. Uh, there's lots of different ways to look at it if you're contributing more. Uh, so overall that was just a high level Different types of accounts. Just good to review that from time to time. Next is the prescription of the week. Um, so, Matthew, this is one that I encourage a lot of people to do, and that is to set up a car savings account. You know, this way you can set aside a certain amount each month to go towards a future car because we're all going to need a new car in the future, right? Mm-hmm. They're all depreciating, you know, so it's kind of like making car payments to yourself. You can invest that money depend on your time horizon, Uh but it's always good to kind of go ahead and set up every month. I'm just making a car payment to myself. Mm-hmm. We're big on paying for ca- paying cash for cars here because cars do depreciate in value. They're very expensive. They don't really, it's the most expensive thing that most people own that depreciate in value. Mm-hmm. So set up a car uh, account, pay yourself, make payments yourself rather than to somebody else with interest. Always a good idea. Yeah, that's great. And that's called a sinking fund. That's like yeah, the, the technical fund. term is like you're you're putting this money in there, you're building it up, and then you're gonna pull it down. And so yeah, really good account for cars or just otherwise. But yeah, great, great prescription. Yeah, so good episode there. A little little heavy in certain areas, just technical. Really good though. And um, yeah, so this concludes our episode of Money MD. Feel free to check us out next week um, as we deliver more prescriptions topics. Feel free to check us out on moneymd.net to see previous episodes like we mentioned before. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music. And if you have any questions or want to speak to an advisor, feel free to reach out to us at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. We just hope everybody has a great rest of the week, and we'll see you next time. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.